Okay, good morning, Boker Tov. Welcome back to Parsha Perspectives for today. Parsha's Vayetze. Sefer Bracious, such great stuff. So much, so inspiring, so much to draw from, lessons for life, precedent for our lives. It's really an incredible thing that we can gather every week to examine a text that is thousands of years old that tells a story of people who lived millennia and millennia ago. And we talk about them, they're so familiar to us. There are babies and our zaydis, our mothers and our fathers. We know the story and we know where it goes and we know how it goes. And yet, we read it with a new eye and a fresh insight and we continue to be informed and inspired by it. It's really, it's really amazing. Big thank you to our Parsha series sponsors, Becky and Avi Katz and family in memory of Becky's father, David Grossman, Ilu Nishmas, David Ben Menachem Manish. This morning's shir is also sponsored anonymously to the Fuhr Shlema of Yehuda Leib Ben Malka. Should have a speedy, complete and painless Rafu Shlema. This morning is uh, also, today is the year site of my great, great, great grandfather, Rav Shlomo Feder of Kletsk. He left in 1888 to pursue his dream of living in Israel, and he's buried in Harazesim in Yerushalayim. My brother went to his kever, our great, great, great grandfather. So Le'ilu Nishmaso as well. We dedicate our learning this morning. Just a reminder, if you're not yet in the WhatsApp group, if you want to be informed of the Shear schedule, if you want to get the write-up of the Shear, if you want some bonus material, join the WhatsApp group. It is very easy. Be uh, rabbiefremgoldberg.org slash WhatsApp. rabbiefremgoldberg.org slash WhatsApp. Okay, we begin. Page 144. Yaakov left Be'er and he went to Charan. And he went to Charan. When was this? For trying to identify or place it on the calendar, the Jewish calendar, when was this? So the Sefer Tiferes Yehonasan writes the following. This is from our favorite, our new favorite, Otzer Plas HaTorah. He says, Sefer Tiferes Yehonasan, Kostov Shiyakov Inu Yatsumi Beersheva, Be'erev Pesach. You know when he left? He was traveling on Erev Pesach. Utfilas Arvish Shetikin Haisat Filas Arvish Elorishon Shal Pesach. And we know that when he lay his weary head to rest, the story of the rocks, we're going to examine it in a moment, the dream of the, of the ladder. When was all of this? It was on Pesach night. That marav that he davened, that he introduced to the world, was the marav of Pesach. Yaakov was afraid, he was worried, he was fleeing and running from his brother. He had just finished 14 years, Yeshiva Shem Ve'ever. He's running. And Hashem promises him, don't worry, Shmarticha, I'm going to protect you. Don't worry, you have nothing to fear. I'm going to protect you. You're all good. And what night was that? Erev Pesach, Pesach night. And what is Pesach night? It's a night of protection. Lel Shimurim. We have many halachic consequences. Now is not the time from not having to say the full Kriya Shema Alamita to being able to leave the door unlocked to many halachic applications and implications of the fact that it is promised to be a Lel Shimurim. Hashem designated that night and protected it through history, ready to provide us redemption. And he continues to secure and protect it for us until today. So it's not a coincidence that the very night that Hashem made the promise to Yaakov, Ushmarticha, is the Lel Shimurim. It was Pesach night. But Rashi makes a more famous comment, familiar with the comment of Rashi here. Rashi writes, Rashi is bothered by a question trying to encourage you, encourage all of ourselves, we should read the text with a critical eye. We should read the text and we should question, we should think. Vayetza Yaakov, he left, Vayela Harana, and he went to Charan. 
What was it necessary to tell us? That he left. Just say where you're going. You know, someone said to me goodbye this morning. I'm leaving. I'm heading back to Boston. So he doesn't say, I'm leaving Florida. I'm going to Boston. He said, Rabbi, I'm going to Boston. Boston. Boo. But okay, whatever. No offense. But I'm going to Boston. You don't say, I'm leaving Florida. I'm going to Boston. Where are you going? It's obvious you're leaving where you are. You're leaving where you were. Just say where you're going. So why does it say, Just tell us the part about So Rashi tells us famously, this teaches us, I forgot my glasses, teaches us not to forget our glasses. Says Rashi, you know why? Because when Yaakov left, his absence was felt. Yaakov's presence made an indelible impression. Yaakov had a transformational impact. Yaakov meant something. And Yaakov was a someone. And Yaakov made a difference. And when he wasn't there, it was perceived. When he wasn't there, you could feel it. You could measure it. It mattered. So therefore, it's not just Vayelech Harana. Where is he going? Where will he arrive? What's the destination? It's what did he leave in his wake? What absence was created by the fact that he departed, by the fact that he was no longer there. When the tzaddik is in the city, creates a glow, a glory, a rosham, an impact, an imprint. And when the tzaddik is not there, you no longer feel it. This is part of our mission of how we're meant to live. We're meant to live in such a way that we actually make a difference, that we are a person of the klal. Revolba quotes Rabbi Sol Salanter, who says the way to persevere and triumph in Din, this is a Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur vort, but he says the way to secure being signed and sealed for a good year is to be an Ish HaKlal. Ish Shatzibor Tzarechlo. Be a person who's needed. Be a person who contributes. Be a person who matters. Be a person who, when you're not here, you traveled back to Boston, wherever you went, people said, where is he? Where is she? It's not the same. It's not the same. Whether the fact that the way they daven, the chesed they do, the joy and the radiance and their demeanor and the disposition that they bring. They put away all the sedurim. They invite people for meals. They check in on people. They're just a presence. They're a presence. That's our mission and our mandate is to live such a life that at Sibur, the people rely on us and need us. We're indispensable. And if we're absent for whatever reason, God forbid a person is out because they're sick, person leaves because it's a seasonal community or, or global people travel, someone says, where are they? But if no one noticed you came, nobody noticed you left, nobody noticed you're there, nobody noticed you're gone, nobody noticed you exist, then what contribution are you making? Then what life are you living? If you're invisible, it's a statement about people. We should never treat anybody as invisible. We have to be much more careful about that. But it's also a statement about the life that we live if it's possible that we're invisible and somebody doesn't even notice. That's Rashi. Now, a question that's asked on this is, that Yaakov's not the first one to leave. Avram left. Yitzchak left. Now Yaakov leaves. Yaakov. Avram journeyed. He traveled. Yitzchak was mobile. Yaakov's not the first to leave. So why is Yaakov the first that we say, that he leaves an impact, that he leaves an impression? So they say, they say, when Avram left, 
he left no one there. So it was obvious that Tzadik wasn't there. The whole town, the whole city was different. Yitzchak similarly, but Yaakov leaves Yitzchak's home. So you might have thought, yeah, Yaakov left. Tzadik ben Tzadik, okay, but we still have the core of the original Tzadik. So you don't really feel his absence because uh, the senior Gadol is still here. The senior Avinu is still there. So no, even when you leave a Yitzchak behind, when a Vayetze Yaakov, it still leaves a Roshim, it's still fe- felt. The Beis HaLevi has another explanation. Why does it need to say both? The Beis HaLevi says, when a person travels from one place to another, the Tachlas can either be that you're running away from something or you're running to something, right? It used to be that people came to Florida because they were coming to our beautiful community, our beautiful state. They wanted to live here. They wanted to be part of our values, our ideals, our mission, our motto. Over the last couple of years, Vayetze, they were running away from something. Policies, state income tax, living conditions, cold weather, snow. So people either leave, they go because they're running from, or they go because they're running towards. Regarding Yaakov, both were his tachlas. Rivka told Yaakov, Therefore, So the tachlas was, get out. Your brother wants to kill you. Get up, get out, get going. But then Yitzchak said, don't take a wife from Canaan. So the Tachlis was also, go get married, here's the destination. There's a Mitashachan event in Beersheva. Go to Haran, go to Haran, sorry. There's a Mitashachan event in Haran. That's where I want you to find your Basher. Go there for that, go there for that purpose. So, the uh, Beis HaLevi says, this was unusual. He both was leaving and he was going because both were the tachlis, both were the purpose. Therefore, the Pasuk includes both. Vayetzei, vayelech, to tell us both. Rav Weinfeld Shlita has a third explanation I find very powerful, very beautiful. He says the following. The impact that the Vayetzei had on his surroundings. We could add, he writes, it also emphasizes the impact Vayetzei had on himself. This wasn't merely a journey from one place to another. It was a life-altering journey. Vayetze Yaakov is not just that he left, but that he's gone out of the home of his parents where he spent many decades of his life until now. His parents' home wasn't just comfortable and familiar in the simple sense, but the Ramban and Shmos writes, the Hashra Sashchina in the Mishkan was malas avosam yashuvu. It returned to the level of the avos. The reason being because the avos were heineina markava. The Mishkan was going back to that madrega, that level, and restoring the presence of Hashem, the intensity that was felt in the home of the Avos. So Yaakov's journey was leaving that. You grew up in the home of the Avos, in the home of the Merkava. They are the chariot. They are the instrument, the vehicle for an intense feeling of being in the presence of the divine. And you're leaving that? You're leaving that? We had the schuss of hosting Rav and Rebbe Schechter last Shabbos. He stayed at my house. The whole Shabbos, the whole time he's there, you feel. Hadara, Ziva, you feel that radiance those midos, that learning, that wisdom, that discipline, that presence. Say when it leaves, you feel the Rosham. So the Mishkan was going back to that madrega, that madrega of the intense presence. You feel there's something big, there's something special, there's something otherworldly. There's a window and there's access and contact to the divine. And now Yaakov's leaving that. He has to flee and run from that. And he's no longer in the shadow of his greatest teachers, of his beloved parents, of Yitzchak and Rivka. He's Vayetze. He's leaving Eretz Yisrael, the promised land. Vayelech Haran, it's a frightening journey. It wasn't only once he dreamt his dream that he learned 
that although the malachim of Eretz were leaving him, but there were special malachim designated for escorting him chutz la'aretz. These malachim are shaykh to the unique and special purpose of being in chutz la'aretz. And then Yaakov wakes up. And what happens in this dream? This is how Rav Weinfeld understands the opening of our parsha. He's leaving the intense, protective cocoon of his parents, a place that he's Yoshev Olam, he's sitting and shtaging and learning. He has the ultimate role models. He is surrounded and feels the presence of Hashem. And then he has to leave Vayetze. And he's Vayelech, he's going to Charon. And he thinks, that's it. It's over. Downhill from here. My years of Aliyah are over. Downhill from here. But he has a dream and he wakes up and what does he say? Yesh Hashem b'makom hazeh lo yadati. Until now, he didn't realize that he had the potential to be shayach to Dashras Hashchina on his own. Anochi lo yadati. I didn't know that Anochi. I thought that I could only ride the coattails of my parents. I thought that to feel connected to Hashem, I had to be in the yeshiva, in the kolel. I had to be in my parents' home. I had to be with the tzaddik. I didn't realize that I could generate, that I could manufacture that feeling, that I could be the conduit and the instrument. Anochi lo yadati. I didn't know that Anochi that I could be the Merkava, that I could be the chariot that would bring down a divine presence. Until now, he only knew about the Hashras Hashchina in the shadow of his parents. But now that he experienced the Hashras Hashchina while being away from his parents, from the dream, now he wakes up and he says, Ah, Yesh Hashem Bamakom I thought I left it behind. I thought I loved godliness and connection, spirituality and intense. I thought I left it all behind. He wakes up from his dream of a ladder uniting heaven and earth that he too could be the bridge, that he too could be that ladder, that he too could be that channel, that conduit, and bring heaven down to earth. And he said, Anochi, the fact that I could do it, lo yadati, I didn't realize. I didn't realize it's in me. I didn't realize I too can do it. And now he experienced Shriya Sashkin away from his parents. Now he knows his potential. A personal of Astropol explains the Pasuk that, that Yaakov said, I knew that Achain, the Aryeh, Kruv, and Nesher was on the Kisei HaKavod. But I didn't know Anochi Loyadati. Achain, Aryeh, Kruv, and Nasher. There are four images on the four legs of the throne of Hashem, Zohar tells us. The Aryeh, the Kruv, and the Nasher, these three animals, what they symbolize, what they depict. The fourth, Chokuk, what is engraved on the fourth leg of the, of the throne of Hashem, is the image of none other than Yaakov Avinu, the Bechir Ha'avos, Yaakov Avinu. So he says, that's what Yaakov was saying. Achain, I achain, achain, yesh Hashem b'makom hazeh. Achain, I knew was here. Aryeh, Kruv, and Nesher, achain. But the Anochi, that I could be engraved on the throne of Hashem, that I could be a conduit to bring godliness in this world, that I could be the Merkava, the chariot for godliness, lo yadati. Anochi, the Anochi, lo achain, I knew. Aryeh, Kruv, and Nesher. But Anochi, that I could do it, lo yadati. That's who he wakes up, and that's what he realizes. What a powerful insight and understanding of the opening of our parsha that really fits very beautifully with what we're up to in Siddur Snippets. The very opening of the Amidah, the opening of Shemona Esrei. How do we begin the Shemona Esrei, our conversation with Hashem three times a day? We say, Baruch Hashem Elokeinu Avoseinu. There's a dual relationship we have with Hashem. On the one end is Elokei Avoseinu. We bask in the light and the lessons of our parents, of those who came before. We ride their coattails and we invoke their teachings and we live off of their memory and we are inspired by everything about who they were or who they are. But you know what else we have? Elokeinu. We also have our own independent relationship with Hashem. The Anochi, part of our relationship with Hashem. 
We cannot rely exclusively on the relationship of our parents. We can't rely entirely on that. You know, uh, when we had Rav David Lau, the current chief rabbi of Israel, when we had him on behind the bima, he talked about Yichus. He was told as a child, I forgot which Rebbe, when he was a young, young man. And his father, Rav Yisrael Meir Lau, Zosayin Gesund and Stark, the great survivor, former chief rabbi of Israel, chief rabbi of Tel Aviv. And he grew up in that shadow of his father, of his father who is a, is a huge person and is a big name. And a Rebbe has told him, came, brought him up to the front of the room one day and said, write on the blackboard at the time, now we have whiteboards, but on the blackboard, write zeros. Your father, your grandfather, maybe you've heard Rabbi Yisrael Meir Lau talks about how many generations of Rabbanim they go on. It's mind boggling, I forgot the number. Many, many, many generations. He said, your father put a zero, your grandfather put a zero, your great Zayda put a zero, your great great Zayda put a zero, great great Zayda. He says, you see all that? That's your yichas, all those zeros. But it all amounts to nothing unless you put a one in front of it. The one is you. The life that you live, who you are, the difference you'll make, you got to put a one in front of it. All those zeros, they mean something. If you put the one in front of it, you get to a big number, a big number. So yichus is all the zeros. But the one that we put in front of it, that's the life that we live. That's who we are. So Yaakov Avinu thinks, I'm done, I'm finished, I'm running now, it's all over. It was fun while it lasted, sitting and learning, basking in the, in the radiance and the light and the lessons and the legacy of my parents at Yitzchak and Arifka, but now I have to run for my life. There it goes, I'm becoming a balabas. Becoming a balabas. Lopiansky has the famous, wonderful book, Ben Torah for Life. Why is it that you're a Ben Ali in Yeshiva or seminary and you become a balabas, a balabasta, and they say, that's it, now I'm barely holding on. If I keep Shabbos and kosher, I remember to daven every day, I'm good to go. My aliyah, my, my climbing days, my ascent, it's over. If I could stay here, I'm good to go. Likely I'm going to start going here. The only question is how far I drop. Who says? Where does it say? Why can't we continue to be aliyah our whole lives? Why is it over? Sometimes it's later in life when we're more mature and experienced. Maybe we have more time, we're retired. Maybe these are the greatest growth spurt years of our life. This is it. This is the greatest growth spurt of our life. Maybe now our children are on a certain trajectory and path. We have a certain nachas. We have a certain stability. We have a menuchas and nefesh. Who says your aliyah days are over? So Yaakov Avinu thinks, I was a ben aliyah in yeshiva. I was a ben aliyah in the home. But now it's over. I'm a balabas. As a balabas, I'm barely holding on. He has this dream. Who says there's a ladder? Climb that ladder. Your aliyah days are not over. You're a ben Torah for life, a ben aliyah, bas aliyah for life. Keep climbing higher and higher. He wakes up, he says, Va'anochi uwah. Even when I'm on my own without my parents, lo yadati. I didn't know. The achain, I knew. But the anochi, lo yadati. I didn't realize I could too. And that's what Rav Weinfeld says. Vayetzei Yaakov. It's significant. It's important. We begin with the vayetzei. He left his parents home and he thought it was over. Vayelach, but he went to discover who he is. He went to discover his unique and special relationship with Hashem. The Megid Yosef, of Yosef Sarotkin, who will be here the Shabbos. Heilige Megid Yosef is giving the Chabur the Shabbos morning. He says the following. So in his honor, we have a few insights from his wonderful Sefer. He says the following. Rashi, lo yitzarach l'chitov elav yedach Yaakov charam v'lo ma'ezker yitziyasu ma'gitz sh'yitziyas sadik ben amokum osa roshim. Tamu adavar madu'a nesiyach t'adrosh ha'zvetzah Yaakov. Harim asupar v'torah gamma ma'asoh shalavim v'yitzchak. V'sham lo nizrosh panaziva. Kliyakar talks about this. Others talk about it. Ask the Megid Yosef. Frek the Megid Yosef. Others also left. Why did we wait to share this teaching? V'yetzay tzadik l'zeroshim with Yaakov. With Yaakov. Torah 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 
Avram also nefashos Lashem. When they left, it was obvious because Avram launched a revolution in his time. It was a world of paganism and idolatry and Avram converted psh, the Balchuva movement, the Geras movement that Avram and Sarah in partnership created, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, mind-boggling. So when he stepped down, when he retired, when he moved on, when he left, everyone knew. And his house was the paradigm of hospitality. So when he closed up shop, it was over. No one had a place to go get Kiddush anymore. Nobody had a place for a Shabbos meal. Nobody could show up unannounced. Rav Machlis is coming to Florida next week. Everybody should dig deep in their pocket. You don't need me. I'll give you the address. Rav Machlis hosts 150, 200 people every Friday night for dinner. It's unbelievable. Long after his Rebbitzin tragically left this world, he and a team of people who volunteer and help, I'm very proud of my daughter among them, prepare and cook and don't charge a penny. So when, when we have five guests, if we have 10 people over, ooh, wah, we tell everybody we know you should, the meal that we had Friday night, the table we had to set, the food we had to shop, we had to prepare, we had to cook. But machlis, these numbers are staggering. The setup, the chairs, the cooking, the chicken soup, the chicken, it's unbelievable. So who pays for it? Where does it come from? So we have the opportunity to have a small chilek, a little part. You don't have to schlep. You don't have to set the table, you don't have to clean up afterwards, you don't have to put out the chairs, you don't have to cook. You just have to Venmo, a little money, a credit card. And it's all going directly to make sure that people who otherwise had no place to eat, it's unbelievable, mind-boggling. So once a year of Machlis takes his family, Seder night is when he wants to be alone with the family. He told the story, he was also on Behind the Bima. We had the greatest Kalan residence program of all time. It's called Behind the Bima. And he told the story that the first year that they tried to, to uh, do it at home to be alone, people came anyway. So the next year they went away, people found out where they went and followed them there. And now it's an undisclosed location, Pesach Seder night. So, yeah, so Avram Avinu says the Megid Yosef, Avram Avinu goes away for a Friday night for a Shabbos, it makes a Roshim, the Tzaddik's not there, because hundreds of people are knocking on the door, who's making Kiddush for us? Who's making Hamotzi? Where's the chicken soup? Where's the hug? Where's the love? Parenthetically, I went to visit. Chavid and I were in Israel last year. So we went with my daughter who's volunteered to help him. We went to his house. I don't know, it was like 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night. There's a knock on the door, we're visiting him. Two people came by, they were hungry, they had no food, could they come in and eat? But Marcus put it, this was a, I don't know what it was, a Tuesday night, a Wednesday night. He puts out some food. So one of the guests says, in Hebrew, it was an Israeli, he says, Rav Machlis, you're mamash like Avraham Avinu. Your home is open the way you hosted us. Without notice, you gave us food. So I never saw Rav Machlis. He got upset. And he turned to the person and he said, because you're trying to compliment me, you think you're entitled to insult Avraham Avinu? He was so upset. You're insulting Avraham Avinu? Uh, thank you. But to compliment me, you think you could insult Avraham Avinu? And by the way, he wasn't putting on a show. If you know Rav Machlis, that's Rav Machlis. Anyway, so Avram Avinu, like Rav Machlis, I'll make the comparison at the risk of being upset at me. If he closes up shop and closes the door, it makes a Roshim. Yitzchak, Bonam is Bachos, Vakar Hashem Lashem. Yitzchak made altars and he gave them names for Hashem. Yitzchak's got tremendous shuls where Avoda is taking place. If the shul doors are locked and there's nowhere to go to Davin and there's nowhere to go to do Avoda, people notice. People notice. So it's Davke Eitzel Yaakov Avinu, says the Helega Megid Yasef. Davke Eitzel Yaakov Avinu, 
Ishtam Yoshev Olim, Yeshasherlo Yarichu as Trumas Hamistagir Barba Amoshalacha, Lechaya Yaruch Shalair, Sham Nitzracha Torah Lahoro Shagam, Vulai Davka, Tzadikazehu Ahod Vahadashalair, Afshain Vishumo Nikar Lako. What was Yaakov Avinu's contribution? Avram Avinu's got hundreds of thousands of people that he's converted, that he's transformed, that he's revolutionized the world, he's teaching them and he's feeding them. When he closes up shop, everybody notices. Yitzchak Avinu has built Mizbachos, he's built incredible altars, he's got shuls and davening and minyanim around the clock. You close the doors, everybody notices. Vayetze Yaakov. Yaakov leaves. What was Yaakov doing? He was sitting in the corner of the base medrash. Nobody knew, nobody saw, nobody experienced. He sat steiging, he sat there learning. So maybe you'd think, Yaakov leaves? Eh, who cares? What difference does it make? What does it matter? He was just sitting in the corner of a room by himself, pouring over some big book. He didn't revolutionize in the world. Who's going to notice? Dafka with Yaakov Avinu is where the lesson is taught. Vayetze Yaakov. You have a tzaddik living in the city. Even if they're sitting quietly in a corner, their merit, their schus, they're sitting and learning Torah, their midos, their ches, who they are. Psh. That is the radiance, that is the light, that is the protection for that city. Vayetze, when they leave, that too is, that too is felt. Perach of Ches, Pasuk Yedav, next Pasuk. Vayivka b'amakom v'yelon sham kiva ha-shemesh, vayikach me'avne ha-makom v'yasam y'arashosov v'yashkav b'amakom ahu. He encounters the place he spent the night, sun had set, he took the stones, he arranged around his head, and he laid that place. Rav Nachman of Breslov. Oh, beautiful teaching of Rav Nachman. Says the holy Rav Nachman. On his way, he stops in Beit El in order to sleep there that night. And he takes many stones to surround his head while he sleeps. Because of Rashi, he put it around, he made a circle around his head. Why? Rashi gives us the reason why. Why? Protection. To ensure that no animal would come and maul his head while he was sleeping. If you want to be protected while you sleep, so you make a tent, you're going camping. What do you do? You put your head inside the tent and you zip your head closed up to your neck and the rest of the body you leave outside the tent. No. What do you do? You're in the tent entirely because what are you protecting? Your entire being. So why didn't he put the rocks around his whole body? He only had enough rocks for his head. You can't even make a full circle. Your neck gets in the way. So why didn't he take a you know, like a murder scene. Why didn't he put the rocks all around his uh, body and mark his hair? Why, why didn't he protect his entire body? El Yishkan Remez Bishvilanu. Says Rab Nachman, quoted in this beautiful Sefer, Shulchan HaShabbos, teachings of Rab Nachman applied to the Parsha. You know what takes the greatest and needs the greatest protection? is our head. Where do things go wrong? What leads us astray is thoughts, fantasies, confusion, corruption, chaos in our mind, a lack of clarity in our thinking, a lack of clarity in our perspective and approach. Just like in antiquity, for entertainment, they would, for sport, 
they would take vicious animals and unleash them against one another and watch them tear each other apart, so to the machshavos in a person's mind. There's a vicious battle. It's trying to tear us apart and tear us down. And the proper thoughts have the status of kosher, holy animals. Unkosher thoughts, unkosher thoughts, including worry and anxiety and fear and doubt and fantasy about inappropriate things, they're considered the chayos tameos. And the arena where this battle is taking place is our moach, is our brain, is our head. From the moment we wake in the morning till the moment we fall asleep at night, there is a battle raging in our head. Should I share the Lashonara? Should I keep it in? Should I be on time for shul? Should I schmooze during davening? Or stay quiet and answer Kaddish with all of my koach? Will I eat the potato chips late at, late at night? Or will I close that cabinet and go to sleep because I don't need them sitting in my stomach? We, from the moment we wake up to the moment we fall asleep, there's a battle taking place. And where is that battle? It's not in our heart. And to a degree, it's not in our soul. It's in our head. And who is the master? Who is the one who invited to the battlefield, to the arena, who's the one who invited the different teams? Hashem is like the king, the royalty, who sits from his royal perch and looks down at the Colosseum of the arena where the battle's taking place and draws a tremendous nachas where he's rooting for the one side, and when it emerges victorious, when it tears the other side apart, and when it renders the other side finished, derives an incredible joy. Letters are like rocks. We know that HaKadosh Baruch created the world with 10 sayings. So Hashem created with words and with letters. That's how we created the world. We do it too. It's called speech recognition. Speech recognition. The other day my son was driving me crazy. Someone got us an Alexa and he plugged it in. Alexa, do this. Alexa, do that. Alexa, play this song. Alexa, say this. Alexa, tell a joke. We have speech recognition. You could, tell your, you could talk onto your phone and tell your Tesla to come pick you up because it's raining under the awning. I'm not exaggerating. You can do that. So, kiviyachol. Created the world with ten speeches, with ten sayings. We just said it a moment ago this morning. Baruch spoke, and the Tesla came. The whole world came to be. So the Avanim. He took these letters, this capacity to create to design, to engineer, to build, and he put it around his head. He was worried about the chayos ros, or the thoughts inside his head. Rab Nachman has us read this whole pasuk metaphorically al pidrush. It wasn't vicious animals that would tear open his head. It was vicious thoughts that would tear down his soul. The avanim are the osios, Around his head, are protecting his head. That's what needs the protection is around our head. Megid Yosef also has a comment on this. And he says, first these stones, this is a beautiful thought. He says, first these stones, they fought with each other. For each one wanted the tzaddik to rest his head on them. 
combined them all into one. Many moons ago, when I became the rabbi at the Boker Raton Synagogue, I think one of the first Shabbos I was the rabbi was 2005, Parshas Vayetze. And I spoke about this medrash, and I talked about, this is part of my whole personal approach to life and vision for life, is the Shara Kolal, 12 stones. Each one says, the tzaddik should rest on me. I'm the exclusive hashkafa of Torah. Gosh put them all together, valuing diversity, celebrating unity. Each one said, let the tzaddik rest his head on me. I'm the tzaddik, I'm the tzidkus. I'm the only righteous hashkafa. Each one said, Kosh made a miracle, combined them all, celebrating unity. It's good stuff, even back in 2005. I read my old drushas and I am humiliated and ashamed, but that one was pretty good. Nimtseinu lemeida mikan, sha'av domim kishar nivraim, sho'if lahagila matara, shalishmahu nivra. Says the Megid Yosef, says Rav Suratskin, what's this conversation among the rocks? Fight, a battle, each one wants the tzaddik to rest on him. What are we talking about over here? What is this, a child is medrash? No, there's a very deep meaning. It means that we know that we have four levels of that which is created. We have different levels. Inanimate objects, animate objects, but without a soul, human beings, medaber and so on. So it means that even the domain, even an inanimate object, has a purpose, a reason that it's here. And it wants to fulfill that purpose. These chairs are here for you to sit and dominate and learn in. That's why they were designed, I think in China. That's why they were built. Even a rock, even a stone says, why am I here? What am I meant to contribute? What am I meant to be? What difference am I meant to make? That we do a brismila specifically with that metal, with barzel. Because because the covering of Barzel on Goliath, David Amelch was able to penetrate, and as a reward, we do the Brismila. Who cares? Metal cares? Metal knows? Metal's rewarded? Metal has merit? The answer is yes. Even inanimate objects have a purpose and a design and a reason, and they seek to fulfill them, or we seek for their fulfillment. So even these stones say, this is why we're here, to sit under the head of the tzaddik. And with this, he explains something very beautiful. Gemara Brachos, it's quoted in the Shulchan Aruch, or Chaim Yisim Reish Aleph, has what we call the Bracha of the Balabais, Birchas HaOreach. When you're a guest in someone's home, all of benching is beautiful. First paragraph, Deoraisa, rest of the Rabbanon. When you finish Ayich Hasreinu, the Harachaman Zen, some say on Shabbos, some don't, but what everyone says you have to say on Shabbos is the Hiratzon, the Birchas HaOreach. You have to thank your host. You have to thank your host. Tosus, on the side of the Gemara, says we learn this. So Tosus, uh, Tosus Rid, Tosus Ayashan. Tosus says, not the regular Tosus. He says, where do we learn this from? Pasuk says, Benching. We bench as a mitzvah doraisa. Benching is the only bracha we recite doraisa, maybe also birchas Torah. And we learn it from the Pasuk, Parshasekev. If you eat, Visavata, and you're satiated, you're full, Uveirachta, thank Hashem. But it could have said, Hashem What does it say? We know that these S are extra, they're extraneous, they're unnecessary. So we learn, we derive, Rabbi Kiva dedicated his life. So what does this S teach? S says Tosus Rid, Tosus I forgot which Tosus. S Lorabos Balabais. So when you bench, 
before you bench, after you bench, you first turn, more likely to the balabasta, and you say, thank you, everything was delicious. Thank you for your hard work. Thank you for this beautiful meal. Thank you for having me. Rabbi Sainavarech. First, you think the host, S, Lerabos, Balabais. S, Lerabos, Balabais. So we do that. Gemara Baruchos records the Nusach of what we say. And the Shachonach Paskins, you have to say it. Many skip it or they mumble it. Say it out loud. Say it out loud. The wine is nice and the candy platter was nice. But the Bircha Soreach, you really want to leave a gift for your host. Say a Bircha out loud. Mean it. Know what you're saying. What do we say? May my balabayas never be ashamed, never experience shame in this world. Let them have eternity in Olam Haba. Now, I don't know if you ever said it, but if you did say it, did you ever think about what it means? Doesn't it sound entirely redundant? means be successful with all of your endeavors, with all of your property and all of your assets. What? Isn't that the same thing twice? What's the difference between already asks The source of Birchas already asks. It's redundant. What does it mean? Venira Levar says the Megid Yasev, Shiatzliach Bechon Nechasav Hu Kepshuto, Shabalabais Yisasher. Viatzliach Bechon Nechasav means, may all of your portfolio go up, may all of your investments have a good return, may you do well and be wealthy. Veshuvanu Mavarchem Nechasav Mutzlachim, Shanachasim Atzmam, you Mitzlachim Lagi El Tachli Sam, Shabalav Yinatzlem Laharbos Betayr Vemasim Tovim. First bracha, do well. Amass and accumulate wealth. And when you have that wealth, when you have those things, they should be mutzlachem. May they fulfill the purpose for why you have them. May you have a beautiful home and then use it to host chesed and Torah and shiurim. May you have great wealth and use it to give to tzedakah, to help Rabbi Machlis, to help the Bogotan synagogue get its message and its Torah, to do great things. So there's two parts, it's not redundant, there's two parts to the bracha, based on this insight of the rocks fighting each other. Such a beautiful Megid Yosef, no? The first part of is, do well, have a lot. And when you have a lot and you did well, your nechasav should be mutzlachim. They should be successful in fulfilling the reason that you have them. Everything Hashem gave us, He gave us for a reason. It serves a purpose. That extra guest room, the extra seat at your table, the extra capacity to give, the extra spot in your car on the way to an event that someone could use a ride. Everything we have, we have for a reason. May we be successful in having a lot, and may we have, may that which we have be successful in fulfilling the purpose for the reason that we have it. Oh, so geschmack. Such a beautiful insight. Okay, Perachav Ches, Pasuket Beis. Should we do the move? Should we go to the end of the Parsha now and work backwards a little bit? Let's go to the end of the Parsha and work backwards. I'm trying to be a new me. Trying. Paraglamid base, Pasadal. Skip to the end of the Parsha. It requires you to know the Parsha. Meaning, if you were trying to follow the story from this, if we go out of order, you're going to get lost. So hopefully everybody knows the Parsha. If not, look at the Parsha. If we're going to go out of order to be able to see multiple parts of the Parsha, then it's going to require you doing your homework too. The very end of the Parsha. Let's work backwards a little bit now. We know that 
Spoiler alert, Yaakov runs, he goes to the house of Lavan, he falls in love with Rachel. Lavan pulls the switcheroo, gives him Leah before Rachel. He marries them both, he has many children, he's ready to leave Lavan's house. He leaves Lavan's house, Lavan chases him, and he says, where'd you go, how'd you do this? Accuses him of stealing his idols. Vayashkem Lavan, Pasuk Perek Lamed Beis, Pasuk Aleph. Vayashkem Lavan, Baboker, Vayinashek Lavanav. Lavan wakes up in the morning and he kisses his children, Vayinosav. Vayivarach, Asem, he gives them a bracha. Vayilech, Vayashav Lavan, Lemkamo. And Lavan then leaves and goes back to his place. First of all, he wakes up and he gives a shtekel kiss. He gives a little kiss, his children and his grandchildren. It's actually a nice image. Lava may be a low life, but the Zayda, the Abba, the Tati is giving a kiss. In our Otsa Plosa Torah, our favorite Sefer, he therefore has a long essay about kissing. Appropriate, not romantic kissing, non-romantic kissing. L'nashek yidei Adam Gadol. Botzei Shabbos of Shechter came to Abbas Ibanim. There was a long line of kids who came for a bracha, and who came to wish him a good vach, and parents who took pictures with them. And then a Sephardi family came, and the children knew. They took Rav Shechter's hand, they didn't shake it. What'd they give it? A kiss. They gave a kiss on his hand. Gave a kiss on his hand. My son was watching, so last night, when he said goodnight to me, I gave him a kiss on his cheek, and he said, wait, he took my hand, and he gave me a kiss in my hand. So where did this come from, the idea of kissing a hand? The Chidah quotes it, Sefer Hashem Gedolam. The Rimagash went to see the Rambam. And the Rimagash, when the Rambam was on his deathbed, kissed the Rambam's hand. No, sorry. Shabbat Petir said Rimagash. The Rimagash was on his deathbed, and the Rambam went in to see the Rimagash on his deathbed. The Rambam was seven years old, and the Rimagash kissed the Rambam's hand at seven years old. At seven years old, understanding the future potential greatness of the of the Rambam. And he goes on and he talks about Amotzim Kippur, Kokla Yisrael kissed the hand, the Yaivitz quotes, everyone kissed the hand of the Kohen Gadol. The minag to kiss, not only on the cheek or kiss the hand, the minag to kiss the shoulder, the minag to kiss the leg. The minag we spoke about a few weeks ago, can you kiss a corpse? Can you say goodbye to your loved one who's left this world? To not put out your hand, you're not allowed to kiss in shul. You can't show affection to anyone other than Hashem. You can't kiss children in shul. When you go to a kever, do you kiss a tombstone? Do you kiss a matzeva? you kiss the Sefer Torah? Do you kiss a mezuzah? To kiss the king, Derech Kavod. He has a long, this is this wonderful sefer. Pasuk said, Lavan gave a kiss. Let's have many pages with an essay on every aspect of kissing in Judaism. It's great stuff. But I want to focus on another entry he has. He has another entry here on the words, Vayavarech Eshem. Before Lavan departs from them, what does he give them? A bracha. And the Svorno writes here, Ravavadya Svorno, the Svorno writes here, Chazal tells the Gemara Megillah Daftez Vav, Alti birchos hediot kala be'inecha. That the bracha of a simple person, we shouldn't take lightly. Every person who offers a bracha is serving as a conduit to bring down the light of Hashem and to give you that bracha. So don't take it lightly. Don't only run to the righteous, but a simple person gives you a bracha, say, I'll take it. Have a great day. You're walking out of shul with someone, they say, have a great day. Amen. Absolutely. I'll take it. From that icevarf, from that icevarf, absolutely. So first of all, even a bracha of a lot, even, I'm sorry, even a bracha of a lovan, lovan's giving his children and grandchildren a bracha, yeah, even the bracha of a lovan. But more than that, he says, more than that, he says, the bracha of a parent has superpowers. 
because nobody cares, nobody is as invested, nobody is as present, nobody is as much of a stakeholder in a bracha as a parent. So when the tzaddik or the tzaddikas, when the Rebbe or the Rebbetzin gives you a bracha, they mean it, they care, but they're not a stakeholder. When a parent gives a bracha to a child, what's the state, what do they say? You're only as happy as your least happy child. So when you give a bracha to a child, you're giving a bracha to yourself. You want happiness. You need your children to be happy because you'll only be as happy as your least happy child. Someone once wrote me an email when I said that. Don't say that, it's a horrible thing to say. It makes the unhappy child feel horribly guilty about their unhappiness. Now their parent is unhappy too. And I say, first of all, feh with your email. But second of all, I couldn't disagree more. A child will be comforted to know my parent can't be happy if I'm unhappy. Empathy, they feel with me. The companionship. There's nothing worse than unhappiness when you feel the rest of the world's happy without me and I'm all alone in my unhappiness. What a statement and what an expression of love and affection that the child knows my pa- I don't want my parent to be unhappy. I want them to be happy. But I'm so moved by knowing that if I'm unhappy, that impacts their happiness. I couldn't disagree more. So the Svarna says here, he's quoting the Otsuplos HaTorah, that the bracha of love was not stama bracha. Not stama bracha of a birchas hedyot. There's nothing like the bracha of a parent. There's nothing as powerful as the bracha of a parent. I found this so moving when I saw this this morning. I thought to myself, how many people wait on endless lines? to go get a bracha, to get a buha from a tzaddik. It's beautiful, it's meaningful, it's wonderful. I don't have a negative word to say about it. And their own parent, they haven't called, they don't say hello, they don't wish a good Shabbos on a Friday, they don't ask, could you give me a bracha? Parent gives a bracha and they say, well, I want to eat quickly, are you done yet? The bracha of a parent, Psh, this is what he's saying. The peleyoets, the sforno based on the chazal, all those brachas are wonderful but there's nothing as powerful as the bracha of a parent. The parent. He writes, Svasemes quotes Perakid Gimel, there's a, there's a bris, there's a covenant, there's a promise that's given to the lips of parents. That the lips of a parent are endowed with greater power and potency to give a bracha than anyone else, than the biggest Rebbe, than the biggest rabbits and the biggest tzaddik, the biggest tzaddikas. I know what Mashiach Rabbeinu B'chai Parshas Yisro. Sheroi le'ishu l'espal Hashem Yisbaruch l'avakeh shalbanam ha'gunam tzaddikim b'shasad lakas ne'er shal Shabbos. Rabbeinu B'chai Parshas Yisro quotes, there's a minag that women, when they light the Friday night Shabbos candles, they daven and they bench to give a bracha to their children. Ki atfila yosin nishmas b'shasas yis ha'mitzvah. U b'schus ne'er Shabbos, you or t'izke l'banam b'ali Torah n'ekrahim or, because the power of a tfila is most potent when it is done accompanying a, a mitzvah. So adjacent to the mitzvah of lighting the candles, we offer a tefillah for our children. Plus, this is how you interpret, person who's rago b'ner, havilan banim, person who's rago b'ner, Gemara says, person who's lighting light and increasing light and promoting light will have children who themselves illuminate. So that's the time that we daven. That's the time that we daven. Very, very powerful. Who is this hedyot? Ati abirchos hedyot kala be'inecha. He quotes the Nitziv as Morome Sada says, Hedyot, who Davka Bracho Shagoy, Kishisro Mavarach Ainza Nikra Birchos Hedyot. 
Afila bracha ish isha ain't a nikras birchas hedyo. The Nitziv says when we talk about a birchas hedyo, we're not talking about a simple Jew. It's a whole new interpretation of birchas hedyo. It means a non-Jew. It means a non-Jew. It means the guy who fixed the air conditioner walks out and he says, "Have a great day." You say, "Amen." It's a birchas hedyo. Jew, non-Jew, anybody who gives you a blessing, anyone who gives you a blessing, they give you a blessing. I told you in living with Amun, I talked about my Uber driver in Alabama a couple weeks ago. Boy, did he give a blessing. He actually believes what it says in the Chumash. Whoever blesses Israel and blesses the Jewish people will be blessed. We're wishy-washy. Well, it's nice drasha, parshanut, explanations, give a drasha. But he actually believes it. Whoever blesses Israel and the Jews will be blessed. So you give a blessing. Rabbi, you should be blessed, blessed. Amen. Don't dismiss that. Bottle it. Capture it. Atia birchos hedyot. says the Merom Esadon Nitziv. That's talking about a non-Jew. But a Jew, it's not a hedyot. No Jew is a hedyot. No Jew is a simple. Every Jew is, is great. And therefore, run after and accept and bottle their bracha. But I love this image of the power of the bracha of a parent. I know not everybody has the minag. I come from a family of the Minag, got a bracha from my father every Friday night. And Ad Hayom not only do we call children wherever we are, try to get a bracha before Shabbos, but my father has the Minag wherever he is in the world on Friday night. You'll see he closes his eyes and he gives a bracha to every one of his children and his grandchildren through telepathy. You don't have to be present. You're taking a pause and you're giving a bracha and you give a bracha. I try with my children and grandchildren every hour of Shabbos. We live in a gift of technology. You can, right, this was like George Jetson stuff. You can now, on a screen, in real time, video, all of them at the same time, wherever they are, New York, Israel, Florida, all for free. <laughs> FaceTime, WhatsApp, for free, Zoom. And you could be looking and you could put your hand on their head, the camera, and give a bracha. And don't, don't I don't have time. We ran out of time. Doesn't matter. I'm hungry. We got to make the oneg, the shalom zacher. This is the most powerful bracha. You're going to waste it? You're going to squander it? Everyone was so proud when they had an in, the VIP line to go see Reb Chaim, Zatzal. Everyone else, the line was down the stairs and up the block in Bnei Brak. I got in, I got, I, they got a buha, I got a bracha v'atzlacha. Beautiful, it's great, it's important, it's wonderful. You know what's even more powerful than Reb Chaim's bracha? Your parents. Did you stop at your parents? You don't have to wait online. Except if you're Reb Chaim's children and grandchildren. But you don't have to wait online. So this image of the power of the bracha of a parent, and I say this from both sides. As children, we should run to go get that bracha. We should ask, we should demand the bracha. We tell our parents, I don't care it's not your minog, I want a bracha anyway, because your bracha is more powerful than anything else I can get. People fly to Israel, get three brachas, take a flight back that night. Forget that, FaceTime your parent, get a bracha. It's the most powerful bracha, and as parents, the power we have in our lips, bris kruso besfasayim shalhorim, the power that we have, says the Peleyoites, the bris that's in the, in the lips, the power in the lips of a parent. Are any of us so confident, so complacent with our children, we don't have to daven for them? Do any of our children not need a bracha for gesund and shalom bias and success in everything of life? I'm sorry I'm going on and on, but it's so beautiful, we have to take advantage of that. Okay, we're still going backwards here. We're still going backwards. What should we look at? We're still going backwards. Vayichar af Yaakov. Perak Lamed Pasuk. Beis. Perak Lamed Pasuk Beis. What happened? Let's go back to Yaakov's married to Rachel and Leah. Again, we're out of order. But the Torah is out of order. Ein muktam amu'uchar. Leparsha perspectives. 
So out of order. So he's married to both of them. Leah has children. Rachel does not. She's jealous of her sister. Give me children. Give me children, and if not, I'm dead. Consider me dead. Wow, those are very powerful words, very painful, painful words. On this says Rabbi Salavechik. Rachel is silent, mute woman who lived in a sacrificial life and died young. In distress and despair, as a barren woman who was condemned to loneliness for the rest of her life, she abruptly exploded. The request she made of Yaakov betrayed her desperation. When one reaches an impasse at the point of exhaustion, feeling a night of loneliness descending, the response is to explode incoherently. Rachel's demand was a shriek of hopelessness. This is the extreme emotional reaction of someone who suffered silently, hidden, and now yells in emotional torment. If the desire for children is not redeemed and purged of its instinctual elements, a mother wants a child only to satisfy her need for loving and caring for another. Chava wanted a child because she was in need of giving to emotional pressure, to, grat- to gratify an instinctual drive to shower someone with love. What this leads to was irrelevant for Chava. Purpose is fulfilling and expressing this love. In the covenantal community, however, the urge to love is purged of its egotistic instinctual elements and turns into a need to serve to sacrifice, to participate in the great adventure of being a people of Hashem and a messianic community. The woman is no more a dandling, playing mother. She is a mother who teaches, educates, trains, and consecrates the child to Hashem. Covenantal mother's desire and craving for a child flow from the deep recesses of her personality where Hashem's image is engraved. She tries to imitate the Creator. Jewish mystics ask, why did God create the world? Does Hashem, the almighty, infinite, eternal, omniscient, and transcendent, need a frail, finite, transient, and conditioned world? Yes, they said. He needs the world in order to have another on whom to practice kindness and mercy, to let someone share in the great eye awareness of being, to give love and bestow chesed. Hashem did not need the world for himself. He wanted it to give man the possibility of attaining greatness. So too, the covenantal mother needs a child to make happy, to have the latter join the great community of the covenant, to serve the great cause, to consecrate the child to Hashem. Salavitchik writes so poetically, so beautifully, our maternal and paternal instinct, our desire to have children is not someone to bring us our slippers and our newspaper, not someone to carry on our name, not to have a little Kaddishal who will say the Kaddish on our behalf. Our desire is because we believe that this world is here to serve. We're here to repair it. We're here to bring godliness to it. And we want to increase and invite and bring into that covenantal community a new generation, a continuity who will continue this Jewish story and continue this Jewish impact. And so when a person suffers, because they haven't. Mesa Anochi. And for me, the Gemara says, there are four who are dead even while they are alive, and one of them is somebody who does not have a child. It's, it's tragic. It's, it's so challenging. It's so painful. And we daven. We daven in the depth of our being that those who are waiting and longing should have healthy children. And there are those who don't have biological children, but they leave the world with incredible children, incredible toldos. The Rebbe, the Kinos, last week, a week and a half ago, the Kinos Ashluchim, 6,500 shluchim around the world, many of whom never met the Rebbe. He didn't have biological children. Did he not have toldos? Did he not leave children all over the world? One could have no biological children and have more children than those who do. But we daven, mesa anochi. Tomorrow night, Yochavid and I are participating in a webinar. 21 years ago, we had a stillbirth of a little boy in the eighth month of pregnancy. So a webinar for prenatal loss, people with pregnancy loss. And uh, we'll be sharing that story and real experts like Dr. Blumenthal and others will be on it. Anyone who could benefit from it is invited to Shul Center an email with a link to the webinar. Mesa Anochi, that's what the Imos went through, that's what Rachel went through. Her whole definition, her whole identity was I'm a mother. And if I'm not a mother, I'm not. 
So I need a child. I'm desperate for a child. I've shared previously, but our Parsha is a fascinating. Leah, her whole identity, what does she want to be? A wife. She wants to be loved, a beloved wife. And Rachel, all she wants is to be a mother. And in their lifetime, Leah is always competing to be the wife. And Rachel is always competing to have the children. But in their death in perpetuity, where is Leah buried? Right next to Yaakov. And how do we know Rachel? What do we think of Rachel as? What's her name? What's her title? Mama Rachel. Each of them got in perpetuity their legacy, what they fought for in their lifetime. Rachel is Mama Rachel forever, and Leah is buried right next to Yaakov as Yaakov's wife for eternity. They got in the next world what they were looking for and fighting for in this one. How does Yaakov react? Vayichar af Yaakov. Perak Lamed Pasik Beis. Vayichar af Yaakov Barachel. Yaakov explodes. Yaakov reciprocates. Yaakov has his own outrage and outburst. Vayomer, and he says, Hatachas alakim anochi. Leave me alone. What do you want from me? What am I? What am I, God? Am I the one who determines whether you'll have the baby or not? Who am I? Who am I? Yaakov explodes. Venir <clears throat> Losif. And so Rashi says, Din Dvarim Shabinayim. What was going on? Rachel, Bikshami Yakushis Palavura. Rachel was saying, Davin for me. Like Yitzchak Davin for Rivka. Your father Davin for your mother. Why aren't you Davining for me? And what does Yaakov answer? Yitzchak had no other children. My father had no other children, so he davened for my mother. But I'm good to go. I got a little someone named Leah, and we're good. We've got kids, so I'm good to go. And the Ramban asks a question, the obvious question, the question I'm sure it's bothering all of you right now. That's Yaakov Avinu. That's what Yaakov learned from Ezeida Avram. That's the chesed. Your wife is in unbearable pain. You're at the fertility specialist. She hears she still has problems. She doesn't have a child. She bursts out screaming at you. New, why won't you daven for me yet? Why don't you get a bracha from me? Why don't you do anything about this? And the answer is, I got to get home to the kids that I have with your sister Leah. I'm good to go. You're on your own. So cruel. So callous. Esther Ramban, how? How could he? How could it be? And how does he scream? The Svarno says, Vayichar al Amra Havali, Kilhaya Biyado. Yaakov's Alper says the Svarno was not rejecting that he could and should Davin. What was he saying? No, no, we believe in Hashem. I don't have the power. You're telling me, Havali, that I should give you a child? That is a Shtiklapikursis. It's a little bit of Kfira. What do you mean? I should give you a child. I can't give you a child. We submit and we surrender only to Him. So says the Sforno, Yaakov was not being callous or cruel. He was not rejecting that he should daven. He was going to daven. What he was rejecting and giving Musa about was, don't say Havali Banim. I can't give you kids. We surrender to Hashem. It's all up to him. It's all up to him. But still, so then how did Rachel say Havali? Based on the Sforno. Rachel wasn't a tzaddikas. She didn't know. She didn't believe in Hashem. She didn't surrender to him. Says the Megid Yosef, a person who's chashuch banim loka b'keflayim, somebody who doesn't have and is longing for children, is struck with a double whammy. Ha'eder ona gidol yeladim. First of all, they're missing the absence of raising children. V'chein ha'uvda she'ena masher sheim v'she'eris acharov. And also the reality that they don't have a legacy and a continuity through biological children. Ha'metzteres ha'eder gidol banim ru'il is pa'es b'mashi'isha maris la'avav yisera. 
So if you don't have children to give you love, and you don't have a home filled with children, maybe it can be compensated with extra love from a spouse. But all the love and all the affection in the world of a spouse cannot compensate for the reality of not having a continuity. Chana also was barren. Elkanah had a co-wife. Her name was Panina. And Elkanah also seems a little cruel to Chana. A little cruel. And he says to her, Halo anochi tov lach banim. What are you so miserable and down? I know you don't have children, and I'm sorry you don't have children. Aren't I better for you than ten children? At least you've got me. My love, my affection, my companionship. He thought, what was the core of her pain? The house is too quiet. There's no one to show you love and loyalty. But you've got me. And what does Chana answer? That her main source of pain, she came, What does she pledge and promise? If I have a child, what is she going to do with it immediately? What does Chana promise? The child is dedicated to Hashem. And Taka, she has a son, Shmuel. And right away, she gives him to the Mishkan. Eli raises Shmuel, not her, which is evidence that what? She did not want a child to bring her her slippers and newspaper. She did not want a child to fill the house with the noise of a sound of broken plates. Why did she want a child? She wanted to make that difference, that impact in this world, what Rav Soloveitchik describes so beautifully. Racha was the opposite. She knew she would have a legacy. She knew she'd have a continuity. She knew she was one of the imahos. What did she miss? She imahos ro baruch hakodesh Yaakov mamet shnei masar shvatim. Rachel rachash shalotiska legad la pribit na. She wanted to be a mother. She wanted a house filled with the sounds of children. Im ayin mesa anochi. Mikan lemi shein lo banu chasher kemes chash kemes kai achim sheinam chaim kshein banam legadel. That's what she wanted. Therefore, hine amarti. That's what she says. That's why she says to Yaakov, Yaakov says, is my love not enough? To which she was saying, that's not enough. Yaakov, the reason he was angry was not about her faith and not about an unwillingness to daven, but he felt that Rachel was challenging his love for her. His love for her was so great and she says, it's not enough. He says, my love for you is not enough. How could it not be enough? How could it not be enough? And then he goes on further to explain this, to explain this conversation. I'll tell you one more quick one. Very, very quick. Very, very quick. Rabbi Avram Chaim of Zlotchev, the Oral Chaim. Vayehav gam es Rachel mile'a. Pasuk says that Yaakov loved Rachel mile'a. What does mile'a mean? More than Leah, right? He says wrong. What made him love Rachel? Mi Leah. From the fact that Rachel gave Leah the simonim. He fell in love with Rachel, not because of the size dress she wore on the resume, the picture that was attached. Not because of how many zeros were after the one, her yichus. Not because of her father's bank account or real estate holdings. You know why he fell in love? Vayehav gamas Rachel. Why? Mi Leah. From the fact that Rachel gave Leah the simonim. Rachel was so incredibly kind and modest and good and giving, that she likely never even told Leah. 
from the episode of the Dudaim, when Leah comes back and says, it's not enough that you took my husband, you also now want to take my son's flowers? To which the commentaries say, huh? If you're Ra- and what does Rachel say? You're right, I'm sorry, maybe we can share. Yaakov will switch nights. If you're Rachel, you go crazy. Are you out of your mind? I took your husband. Are you crazy? And some say, what do you deduce from here? That Rachel never told Leah. Leah never found out that Rachel, that that wedding night was supposed to be Rachel. Never found out. That level, to keep that to herself, to keep that secret to herself, to do the right thing and never want it spoken about and never even tell the beneficiary of your kindness what you did for them, wow, Yaakov fell in love. The only two people in the world who knew it were Yaakov and Rachel. So Vayehov Gamas Rachel Mileah from the episode and from the transmission of the Simanim because of what had happened with Leah. So much more to talk about, but there's a Parsha again next year. Tomorrow, 10 minutes of Mesilas Hashem, living with Amun in the morning, behind the beam at night, webinar on prenatal loss at night. Have a, I'm giving you a Birchas Hedyot. Have a fantastic day. Amen. 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 Stay happy, stay healthy, stay holy.